All right. I want to say good morning to you as well. Hey, um, if you have a, a child or youth elementary age that is going to be a part of Freedom Swim, I just want to um, remind you too that tonight is the kickoff party over at Play in Wisconsin. So I think there might be some details in the welcome packet. Check those out and be a part of that if you're child or youth has not um, signed up for Freedom Swim yet, but would love to be a part of that, they can still do so um, by signing up at freedomswim.com. I'm going to have the ushers come right now, and they're going to um, hand out the note sheets for the message this morning. So raise your hand if you need one of those or a pen, and we're going to get right into the word this morning. I'm so excited to, to continue message number two in the winning the battlefield of the mind. How many really enjoyed Pastor Glenn's message last Sunday and found it really helpful. I want to continue on in that this morning. It's going to be more of a kind of a teaching type message because we're going to go right through Ephesians chapter 6 verses 11 through 18. I put a lot of research into this and I, man, discovered so much. How many know that when you read the Bible that there's just so much in there? If you'll just take the time to extract it, pull it out, go back to the original Greek or the original Hebrew or look at other translations. There's just so much in it, and it just applies so well to our lives. I need this message just as much as I feel you and you're going to benefit from it too this morning. I want to also um, just say that this last week I was able to be with my mom. I shared a little while back that she was diagnosed with kidney cancer. Um, they did a bone scan, a CT scan of her chest and, and um, her back and bones and brain and found that the cancer has not spread, so good news. They're going to be able to go in and do an ablation on her left kidney tumor and uh, microwave it. Um, the bad news is she has spinal stenosis and she has lost a lot of her mobility. But just pray with me that through therapy, through God's hand and touch, he's a way maker, amen, that um, she'll be able to regain some of that feeling so she can lift her legs. And also, that's been a big concern that's going to be a big thing on our plate is just helping my mom and dad get into a home that is all one level. Because as you get older, stairs are just the killer. So it's so hard being an hour and 15, 20 minutes away from them. Um, but just pray with them for me and believing that God is going to complete the work that he's already begun in my mom's life. Let's stand together and pray. Father, we come to you this morning in unity, one purpose, one mind. Lord, we're excited to get into your word, your written word this morning and extract from it. Lord, important counsel, important teaching, important directions, Lord, that will have an incredible impact on our lives as we apply them. Pray for my mom this morning that you just touch her. I pray for those that are in this room this morning with their own issues, their own things, Lord, that are on their hearts and minds. Lord, as Daniel and the team led us in worship this morning, Lord, you are a way maker. You're a miracle worker, and we believe you for those miracles this morning. You're a promise keeper. We believe you, Lord, that are going to keep the promises that you've made to us. Lord, you've created us. Lord, uh, and you set us apart. You set things apart for us, Lord, good works for us to do. Lord, you've given each of us a purpose. Help us to walk victorious in this life and honor you each day in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. 
we're going to be looking at verse 11 to start with this morning. But I wanted to start by reminding you that we are in a war. There's a war raging today that doesn't just occur in one country, in one place at one time. But how many agree this morning with me that it's going on today, right here, in this, in this city, just as it's going on in cities all across our nation, our country. You can go to uh, Mars and you will still battle in this war. The war I'm talking about this morning is a satanic war on Christians. As Christians, we don't battle here and there just once in a while. We go to war every single day. Whether you feel it, whether you see it, whether you believe it or not, the moment you gave leadership of your life over to Jesus, you entered a spiritual war against the devil and the demons of hell, whose sole mission are to destroy you and your testimony for Jesus Christ. This satanic war against the followers of Jesus is what the Apostle Paul is referring to here in Ephesians chapter 6. It's from this sixth chapter of Ephesians that I want to teach you how to put your war clothes on this morning. In order to win any kind of war, you need to first understand and acknowledge who your enemy is. Every Christian has an enemy, and that enemy is none other than the devil himself. In the Bible, the Bible gives him other names like Lucifer, Satan, adversary, accuser, Beelzebub, angel of light, on and on to describe his character. And by the way, the devil and hell does exist despite popular, contrary to popular opinion. Now you may be thinking, hey, wait a minute. I thought that when I gave my life to Jesus, that when I gave my life over to his leadership, that I didn't have to deal with the devil anymore. At salvation, you escaped the devil's hell, but you did not escape his torment. He is out to harass believers. Submitting your life to Jesus is not the end of your struggle with the devil. It's just the beginning. However, be encouraged because 1 John 4, 4 states, He who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. And Jesus promised us that we can have victory over what I would I like to call the trilogy of trouble, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 11. It says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. I want you to listen to this next part. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. I don't know about you, but a lot of times I think that my fight is against other people. But verse 12 says my fight's not against other people. It's not flesh and blood, but it's against the devil and his demons. Amen. 
I want you to see the, the levels here of the devil's soldiers. There's principalities here, it says, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world. See, the devil is not like Jesus. He's not omniscient. He's not omnipresent. He's not all-powerful. But the devil has these hordes of demon followers, these fallen angels that are like military soldiers who are committed to kill. And there's no escaping them. Now with the devil and his demons all around, the Apostle Paul tells us in verse 11 to put on the whole armor of God. The armor is the Christian's battle gear. The armor consists of six different pieces that we're going to go through this morning. Paul issues this command in verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. When he says be strong in the Lord, he's literally saying clothe yourself with power. And the word Paul uses here in the original Greek is in the passive voice, which means that it's something that God does for us. It's not something that we do for ourselves. In other words, God clothes us with power for the battles we face. He's our power source. And the verb put on in verse 11 is in the aorist sense in the original Greek, meaning to put on the whole armor of God as one decisive act with permanent results. What's that mean? It means that you put it on and you keep it on. It's not something that you put on when, when things are not going well and you feel like you're in a crisis situation and um, things are tense and you feel like you're in a battle and so you're going to put on your armor for a little while and then when things get calm again or you sense a peace that you're going to take it off. The Bible says here and the Apostle Paul urges put on the whole armor of God and keep it on, believer. Keep it on, Christian. So that what? So that we may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So what are the wiles of the devil? The word wiles in the original Greek is methodos or methodeia. It's where we get our word method. It's a compound of two words, meta, which means with, and odos, which means a road. Now when you look at that together in its literal sense, it kind of sounds kind of crazy, right? Methodos or methodea with a road. But if you put it in to the context of what Paul's saying here, it's saying that in Ephesians 6:11, the devil is like a traveler who travels along a familiar road. He is headed in one direction and he has one destination. Let me try to illustrate it this way. Our family is getting ready to go on a road trip for spring break. We're going to go out east. We haven't been in this part of the United States before. And so in preparing, I pulled up Google Maps like you would if you were going to map out, chart out your journey. And I put in our starting location, our ending location, and it gave me the amount of miles. It told me the best route. It told me a, a different route that would maybe take 15 minutes or 30 minutes longer. And then I was able to map out along the way where we're going to stop and spend the night and so on. And so, same thing with the devil. He has a method. He's not dumb. He's charted out his course. He has 
one, whoops, one destination that's familiar for him. And that's what? It's your mind. It's your mind. That's his destination. It's always going to be the destination that he's going to attack the believer. It's the Christian's mind. The Christian's mind. He's going to study you and know your weaknesses, know your blind spots. That's his method. And this is precisely the idea of the word methodos. The devil isn't wasting any time. He knows where he wants to go. He has chosen his destination. And that destination is your mind because if he knows, like Pastor Glenn preached last Sunday, if he can take your mind captive, he has taken you captive. And if your mind is captive and you're captive, you're powerless. You're no longer a threat to him. We're told in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, that he's more cunning than any beast of the field. And the word cunning means to strip. Friends, he wants to strip you of your testimony. He wants to strip you of your courage. He wants to strip you of your convictions. John 10.10 10 states that the thief comes only to do what? To steal, kill, and destroy. And if you look back at Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 13, it says, Therefore, in light of everything that Paul has said from um, Ephesians chapter 1 up until Ephesians chapter 6, he's saying, in light of all this, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. What is the evil day? How many would say today is the evil day? As long as the devil is like 1 Peter 5, 8 says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. As long as this lion is on the loose, seeking out Christians to destroy and to devour, we are living in evil days. So Paul is saying to the Christians then, he's saying to the Christians now for us today, therefore take up this armor that you may be able to withstand and stand firm in the evil day. So how do we dress for battle? How do we put these war clothes on? Let's look closely at each of the parts of the armor of God, this battle gear this morning. Verse 14, stand for, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. See, the Roman soldier's belt was a piece of armor that held all other five pieces of the armor of God together. With the belt securely fashioned, he could be assured that all other pieces of his equipment would stay in place, enabling him to move quickly in order to engage his opponent. So fastening on the belt of truth is to be prepared, to be ready to fight. And it's the belt of truth or the truth of God's word, the Bible, that directs us in life's battles. So what does this mean for us as believers? See, there are a lot of facts in this life that, facts that are true, but what's the devil do? He takes facts that may seem true, and he turns them to make us to believe the lie. What am I getting at? He may come to you and say, you're just a stay-at-home mom, a homemaker. And you say, that's true. And he's saying, well, you're not as important as other working women. 
may come to you and say, you're not married. And say, that's, that's a fact. It's true. But then you'll say, you know why you're not married? Because you're not cute enough or you're too shy or you're too extroverted or you're too controlling and, and on and on and on. And, you, and he tries to get you to buy the lie. Or he might come and say, look at what you do is you're a salesperson or you're a cook. And then you, you say, well, that's true. And then he'll turn around and say, that's not important. Look at all these other professionals out there making money and buying houses and cars and so on. And look at their garages full of toys. You're nothing. You're not important. And he tries to get us to buy the lie. That's why Paul says, put on the belt of truth, the truth of God's word, so that you can say, hey, wait a minute, devil. I am God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he has prepared for me to do in advance. And say, hey, wait a minute, devil. I press on each day to fulfill God's plan for my life because I live to please him and please him alone. And say, hey, wait a minute, devil. Christ lives in me and I live in him by faith and his love for me. That's why you have to know the word of God and fasten on the belt of truth because it's going to hold all the other battle gear together. The second piece of the Christian's battle gear is the breastplate of righteousness. Paul says in verse 14, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. See, this breastplate that the Roman soldiers wore protected his vital organs, his heart, his lungs, and so on. Just as fasting on the belt of truth readied him for battle, having putting on this breastplate protected his vital organs, protected his heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. As Christians, we get caught up in doing good, don't we? And become driven by good works and achieving goals and trying to look good in the eyes of other people. But putting on his breastplate of righteousness is not putting on good works. It's not putting on Bible reading. It's not putting on prayer. It's not putting on church attendance. When we put on the breastplate of his righteousness, it's different than our righteousness. It's his. Our righteousness or our best efforts, as the Message Bible translates, Isaiah 64, 6, are like grease-stained rags, or other translations would say, like filthy rags. Righteousness is all about what Jesus did for us on the cross and has nothing to do with us at all. On the cross, Jesus exchanged our sin for his perfect righteousness so that we can stand before him one day and instead of him seeing our sin, he will see his holy righteousness. The third piece of the Christian's battle gear is the gospel of peace. Verse 15 says, and and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. See, the shoes that the Roman soldier wore were kind of like golfer shoes or baseball shoes. They had cleats on them. But one other thing that they had on them was they had a big, long spear-type thing on the, on the toe and on the heel. <laughs> you see where I'm going with this, don't you? They did this for stability on the battlefield, and the shoes off, off also served 
as a weapon against the enemy. One good kick or stomp with these shoes would cause a lot of pain and could even cause death. Just as the Roman soldiers tightly tied on their cleated shoes, we too have to tie on our own shoes apiece. No one else can put them on for us. We have to do it. The shoes we are called to put on are readiness or preparation, or another way to translate this word is foundation or firm footing. So we are to put on the shoes of the firm foundation of the gospel, which also means good news. And friends, what is this gospel? It's a gospel of what? Peace. So we put them on. And when he comes to us with his lies, those facts that he turns on us and tries to get us to believe the lie, what do we do? We are prepared. We have on the shoes of preparation, the shoes of peace. And we say, we're not going to let you trouble me, enemy. I'm not going to believe your eyes this time. And we give him a kick. And we try to knock him down. If we get him off balance and on his backside, we can stop him. And every time he comes against us with another lie, we stop him with the truth. Because we are ready. We have on the shoes of readiness, preparation, because we've been in the word of God. We know what it says. We know what Jesus says about us. And so we walk in the peace and the assurance of our salvation. The gospel of peace. Friends, we need peace. The fourth piece of the Christian's battle gear is the shield of faith. The Roman soldiers called it a scutum. It was rectangular shape. It was four feet tall. It was two and a half feet wide and it weighed 20 pounds. It's like a door. So large that a soldiers, you know, they couldn't wield it. So they were told to put it out in front. And it covered them. It was to cover all. So take up the shield means to cover all yourself. Put it out in front. Now to the Christian, the shield that we have is that of faith. And according to the Apostle Paul, he says, take up the shield of faith. And you know what the Roman soldiers did? See, this shield was made up of different materials. Had wood and leather. So much leather, so much so that it was like steel. And it weighed a lot. It had sharp edges. And to take care of their shield, the soldiers every day would oil the leather. Because what happens when leather gets dry? What's, what happens to leather when it gets dry? Who wants to go into battle with a cracked shield? And then they would saturate it with water. What's the Bible talk about water? Wash yourself with what? The water of the word. You can see the parallels here, can't you? They would saturate the shields, their shields with water. It would make them heavier, but was important. Because why? Because if the soldiers came against them, they would either throw javelins that they would want to protect themselves from from, or they would come at them with arrows, sometimes just normal arrows, sometimes they were fiery or explosive, and if the shields were saturated with water, once the arrows landed in the shield, their fire would be extinguished. So how does this relate to the Christian? How does this relate to us? We are to take our shields, take up the shield of faith, which can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, which means that we 
every day take care of them the same way the Roman soldiers did by oiling the leather. How do we oil ourselves? What does the Bible talk about oil in relation to the Spirit of God? Friends, we need a fresh anointing, a fresh infilling of the Spirit of God on a daily basis. Matt's been reading, um, going through the, the book of Acts and BSF, sharing with me all the different kinds of things that he's been extracting out of that. And one thing that you'll see in the book of Acts and that he's discovered is that it wasn't just on the day of Pentecost that they were filled with the Spirit, but he, you read on event after event after event that when the religious leaders or, or those influenced by the enemy would come against the church, what would happen? They would pray, and what would be poured out? The Holy Spirit. They would have a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. See, it's not um, good enough just to be filled once, but we need to be daily filled with his Spirit. And we do that by getting into what? The Word of God, washing ourselves with the Word of God. That's the shield of faith that's going to extinguish all the flaming darts of the enemy. Another word here, which you can see here um, in, in verse 16, where it says, with which you can also be translated dunamis, or where we get our word dynamite. So another way to translate this would be, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you, or dynamite, will be dynamically empowered to extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And Ephesians 5.18 says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's talk about the helmet of salvation in verse 17. And Paul goes on and says, take and take the helmet of salvation. You probably heard this many times mentioned, preached on, and maybe just thought, well, it's putting on my salvation. But it was good, it was good to research this and to really dig in and understand what this helmet represented. For the Roman soldier, the helmet was made of bronze. It was very heavy, so it had like sponge inside of it to, so it could provide some type of comfort for the Roman soldier's head. It was very ornate or decorative, it had these engraved scenes on it. It wrapped around the soldier's face to cover his jawbone and his cheeks. It was very strong and durable to keep weapons like battle axes from taking off their heads and doing major damage. But other than being protective, the Roman soldier's helmet was, like I said, ornate. It had these colorful plumes of feathers or horses here. So not only was it heavy and penetrable, but it was beautiful to look at. And I don't know about you, there's a lot of times where I'll encounter people, whether it's a service person or a waiter or a server, or an individual who will take time to come help in a time of crisis or trouble. Like, can I help you with that? Or I've got some jumper cables in my car. I can help jump your battery. I see your battery's dead. And you look at that person and you say to yourself, there's just something beautiful about them. Has that ever happened to you before? You encounter somebody, and you don't even have to ask. You know that they're a Christian. They're wearing their helmet. We wear the helmet of salvation because it's assurance for us. It's impenetrable. It's defensive. 
but we also put it on to let the world know that we are different than other people, that we're God's kids. The Bible says you will know them by their love, the love that they have for one another, by their actions, by their deeds. I don't know about you, but I want the world to look at me and see Jesus and see something beautiful in my life. That's what it means to put on the helmet of salvation so that your moods don't change and your actions don't change or your decisions don't change because of trouble that comes your way, but you're assured of your salvation, you're assured of who you are, and you know that your God has your back and you can walk in that assurance. The sixth and final piece of the Christian's battle gear is the sword of the Spirit. And verse 17 says, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. See, they, the Roman soldier would take this sword, sharp, long, do a lot of damage, and they would practice against the six-foot post that was secured in the ground. And they would aim and jab and, and um, hit the post in the areas where the head was located or in the midsection where all the vital organs or even in the sides sometimes. They'd practice wielding their sword. Apostle Paul calls a Christian sword the word of God. The word for word in the Greek is rhema, which means a specific quickened word. In order to have a sword that delivers a deadly blow to the enemy, we need a rhema, a specific quickened word from the Bible placed into our hearts and mouths by the Holy Spirit at exactly the moment we need it. With a rhema word God placed in our hearts and mouths, we have sword power. The best example of this is when Jesus was in the rhema's or the wilderness, and what happened? The devil came to him. You know what? I used to look at that as saying, man, that stinking devil. You know, Jesus was tired and hungry, and he came to him at his weakest point. How dare he? and try to lie to him and tempt him. But I've been reading this book about honoring your life. And um, it pointed out that the wilderness was a source of power for Jesus. That he would a lot of times go back to. He would send his disciples off and he would go back to the wilderness or the Ramos because it was a source of power. It was a source of being in his father's presence, being assured of his purpose, the direction that he was supposed to head and the purpose that he was supposed to fulfill. I say that this morning because it was in that wilderness that the enemy came at Jesus, tempted him three times, and each time Jesus came back with a quick and rhema word that gave him victory. Because Jesus had his war clothes on. So we've talked about the Christian enemy, the devil, the Christian's battle gear, each of the six pieces of the armor of God and their purpose. And I want to leave you with this, the Christian's exhortation. Because this wraps it all up, and it's so important. Verse 18 says, Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Do you know where the battle is won or lost? It's in prayer. If you'll stay prayed up, read up, 
no surprise attack will defeat you. Prayer plus equipment always equals victory. I'm going to have Daniel and the worship team come. I'm going to put a plug in for our prayer group. It's going to meet this Wednesday, I believe, is the 26th, right? The 26th at 7 o'clock over at the NBC office, the new location over on Big Sky Drive. Um, if you feel led to go, Dave and I, he doesn't know this yet, but I'll, I'll tell him afterwards. Well, he'll find out right now. We're going to lead you through praying over through the six pieces of the armor of God and just practice putting them on this Wednesday night while the kids are at youth. We invite you to come. If you're in this area, dropped off your kids, you can come over to Big Sky Drive and join us for prayer. Because we want to put in the practice, verse 18, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication, including making supplication or interceding on behalf of all believers. So God has provided all that we need to be successful, to stand up to the devil, to resist him, to defeat him. So I want to ask you today, if you're like me, would you stand with me and, and just raise your hands and say, God, I need a fresh infilling of your Holy Spirit. And then tomorrow when you wake up, when you open your word and you get into your devotion, say, God, I need a fresh infilling of your Holy Spirit. And as God prompts you and your spirit leads you during the day, say, God, I need a fresh infilling of your Holy Spirit. Give me a rhema in your word for the situation that I'm facing. A quickened word. Prepare me. Because I'm putting on and keeping on the armor that you've given me. Father, it is clear that you want us to be filled with your power. And strength today. So we open our hearts right now. And we receive that, Lord, knowing that we are receptacles of your power, of your dunamis, your dynamite power. We can't battle this thing by ourselves. And it's you who puts on. It's not us. You give us the power, the ability to put on each of these things. The belt of truth. The breastplate of righteousness shoes, the gospel shoes of peace, readiness, preparation. Father, it's you that puts on the helmet of salvation so that we can be assured of our standing in you. And we take up the shield of faith, Lord, to extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. We don't give way. We take captive those thoughts, those lies. And we wield the sword of the Spirit. So, Father, will you come right now? Will you fill us afresh with your Spirit? We open our hearts right now, Lord, to receive all that you have for us. And, Lord, you're willing and you're wanting to pour out from heaven the oil of the Holy Spirit. Wash us with your word, Lord. 